You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. And I uh, trust you're doing well. It is great to have a full house and have uh, our students, uh, some of you guys back. So I know you're headed to ordination council this afternoon, but so glad you stopped by to worship with us today. Hey, take your Bible if you would and look at 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and uh, we're in a series that we're calling This is Church. So uh, life has lots of drama, lots of things going on and relationship issues and whatever. And uh, last week and this week, I think especially this title fits so well because Paul the Apostle is writing to people and he's trying to work through some difficult things, uh, just relational stuff. And so, to be really honest with you, there's not a lot of theology here in these these verses we're going to share today, but there's a lot of practical things that we can learn from and really in the area of relationships specifically. So I want to give you four keys really to healthy relationships. And by that, I'm not just thinking like boyfriend or girlfriend, husband and wife. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, parents, siblings, uh, families. I'm thinking coworkers, you know, neighbors. Just life is made up of relationships. I mean, that really is what it's about, right? And so uh, we're going to see that that God has some things for us to learn and to focus on. And so I'm going to give you kind of those four keys. And then at the end, I'm really going to share with you how we can kind of have those things. So, you know, um, when we think about the challenges that relationships face, you know, why have you ever sat back and like, why is it so difficult? You know, if, if after a while you've lived a few years, you just think, wait a minute, I just, I've always had trouble, you know, it seems like at some point along the way with pretty much everybody. So either the whole world's crazy or you have to say, well, part of it's me too. But think about it this way. Take two people together who are imperfect, all right? Again, not necessarily husband and wife, could be a parent and a kid and can be all, all kinds of people, but two people who are not perfect, who each are imperfect. Though no matter how good they try to do, they're always going to fall short, right? They're going to not be able to quite live up to the expectations of the other person. So take those two people who then both have somewhat selfish tendencies, self-seeking tendencies at times, right? Can we all agree that, can we just all be really honest that there's times we really just want to be taken care of and it's about us individually, right? We're all there, right? At least on birthdays, you know, and Christmas and other times. I mean, some of you in here are like, I just need my feet, foot rubbed right now. I don't care what you've done, but would you give me a foot massage? You know, we, we all have those self-tendencies. Then put into the middle on top of that where two people both have undeclared expectations of each other. Like at least when you play the game of baseball, you know the rules. So you know when you've broken the rules or not. You might not like what the ref did if you're playing basketball, you know. Like that's not a foul. What are you talking about? But you at least know what the rules are. When we're talking about relationships, all rules are out the window. Each person is entitled to their own set of expectations that are unwritten. And the other person doesn't know what those are. In fact, sometimes you don't even know what your own expectations are until they're not being met. You just haven't sat down and thought about it. Then let's put in here some other things. Let's put in some maybe some medical issues. One or two, throw in a medical issue or two. Throw in a couple of other people in there, like if it's a family. Let's say in this case, a husband and wife are just, you know, working through some relational stuff. And then put in two very imperfect kids in the middle of that. That dials the heat up just a little bit more, right? 
put in a medical issue or two, put in some financial strain, put in some other drama in your life, whether it's at work or extended family, and you know, add a little bit of heat, and before you know it, you're like, oh my goodness, this is hard, difficult. That's a little bit of what's going on here in the church of Corinth. There's some drama going on, and Paul was accused, as we talked about last week, they were, he as the apostle said he was going to come to visit, and he wasn't able to come, and some people were calling him out like, you lack integrity, and we talked all about that. And this week, there's some more stuff going on. Just relate, But what it all boils down to is relationships. And it seems so clear to me in this passage that, that, that we need to learn some basic things that are important for all of us to have healthy relationships, not just, not just because this is, I don't want you to see this as like four helpful hints from Heloise. This is not, you know, hey, I Googled how to have a great, you know, relationship online and these were five common sense things. We're going to see at the end that all of these things are rooted in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and through the change that he brings into our life. So read with me if you would. Second Corinthians chapter two. I'm going to read the, First 11 verses, actually, let's just read the first four verses, and then we'll finish up through verse 11 in a minute. Paul says this, he says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Kids like that. Mom's telling kids, I made up my mind not to come upstairs one more painful time for you. It's kind of what he's saying. He's like, I decided I wasn't going to come reprimand you guys, all right? He says, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad? but the one whom I have pained. And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. Oh my goodness, Paul, what in the world logic are you talking about here? Here's what he's saying. Guys, I chose not to come visit you partly because when I, did, I said I was going to come visit you, if I had come then, I was going to have to like come upstairs and reprimand you. And that wasn't going to be fun for you, and that wasn't going to be fun for me. So I decided to write a letter so we could just deal with that so that then later when I come, it can be happy, right? That's what he's saying. He says, I chose to adjust the timeline a little bit because there were some things that you needed that needed to be taken care of, and I chose to deal with it in a letter rather than just coming and, and none of us having any fun. He goes on, he says this. He says, um, for I wrote to you out of much affliction, in verse 4, and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He's saying this, guys, when I wrote you that letter, look, I wasn't trying to ruin your day. I wasn't trying to cause you any anguish or suffering. He said it broke my heart, but it was something I needed to address. And it came out of a heart of tremendous love that I have for you. But it was something that we need to deal with. Four keys this morning about relationships. First one, if you're going to have any relationship that honors God and that has a reasonable chance of being healthy, then your relationship needs to be one that has durability. It needs to have an enduring effect. 
It needs to be able to, to last. Whenever you buy something, you know, most things, I'm not thinking food, you know, that's not going to last. My fridge, it doesn't last. I don't know about yours, but, you know, it just is amazing uh, how fast food goes. But, you know, think of a tool or something else like that during when COVID hurt or hit early on and we didn't know how long this thing was going. Or, you know, kind of our media thought, well, this stinks, we can't have church. But, wow, we can actually... Uh, remodel and take care of some things that we wouldn't have been able to do. And now we don't have to clean up. You know, it's a great time to redo the nursery or whatever and just get it done. And, and part of it, we were going to buy a, a new hockey table because the old hockey table that the kids have is just terrible. I, they never told me, but I don't think they play with it anymore because it just doesn't work well. I bought two hockey tables, all right? Bought them off of Amazon, paid $500, which to me is a lot of money. I, I, I bought two at a time. I first one got returned because it got broken in shipment. I'm like, okay. Well, I went around and I bought the second one. And when it got delivered, the, the box looked all beat up. And sure enough, it was damaged. In fact, we had to make our own box. and I had to go buy supplies just to wrap it up and return the thing back because it broke. None of us, when we invest money or time or peace of our lives, none of us want to invest in something that's going to fall apart overnight, right? In fact, that's why we're careful about the people that we create relationships with because we don't want to put ourselves out there and invest so much and to see them fall apart. We want them to have a level of durability to them. Get the picture. Here Paul is. If you were here uh, a couple of years ago when we walked through 1 Corinthians, this church for Paul, as Paul wrote so many letters, so much in the New Testament, is him writing letters, encouraging, and helping churches deal with stuff. But when you read all of those letters, the church here that was in Corinth, what today is modern-day Greece, had the most trouble of them all. We would say they were dysfunctional is the word we would use today. They had issues. And yet what we see with Paul, he wrote 1 Corinthians, and now we see him in 2 Corinthians just as committed to them today as he was then. They were calling him on the carpet. They were, some of them were saying he lacked integrity. They were questioning his authority. They were questioning his love and his commitment to them. There were major issues here, folks. There were major separation happening, and yet what do we see in Paul and his commitment to them? It stood the test of time. He didn't waver. In fact, he's opening his heart transparently to people who are calling him out, calling him a liar, and he's opening his heart to them and he's speaking tenderly from his heart. You see, there is a durableness to his relationship. There was a commitment in his heart that, that he was willing to stay in there even when it was difficult. That's what God does for us, is it not? Doesn't God do that with us? You know, the Bible says in Psalm 136, over and over and over and over again in Psalm 136, it says, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And His love or His tender loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks. It tells us, to, it says it over and over and over and over again. It tells us to look up and say, we ought to give thanks to God because no matter what we're doing or going on in our world, God still is committed to us in that relationship. You see, today we live in a world where it's easy to ghost relationships, right? It's easy to drop somebody off of your social media. It's easy to, you know, stop receiving their texts, to block them. It's easy to ghost people. And it's easy to, to just make relationships disposable. And as soon as they hit a rocky patch to just 
break that off. But what we see is that the God in heaven that we learn from, that He didn't do that with us. In fact, his, the durableness of His relationship with us is not rooted in our goodness. It's not rooted in our performance. It's actually rooted in His goodness. In other words, flip the script a little bit, if you will. You and I, in our relationships as we go through life, we should be in the stepping more and more into the seat or into the shoes or the situation where God is where we make the commitment that regardless of what's going on around us, that we're not going to throw in the towel and we're not going to ghost and we're not going to run away when the going gets tough. So my question to you this morning is, is where is your commitment? One of my questions is, where is your commitment in those relationships of life? I know drama hits. I know there's things that are probably coming to your mind, Sean, but you don't know this, 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 and this. And you're right, I don't. But I know families. I know friends. I know coworkers. I get it. But I want to share with you that family's important, guys. And be careful that you don't do things and say things and take steps today that you regret a year from now, five years from now, and ten years from now. Make sure in your relationships that there's a durable enduring, that they ought to be able to take a hit. It's naive of us, of any of us, to think that our relationships are just going to be perfect. And that's really naive. Two imperfect people who each have selfish tendencies, who have other issues and drama, it's going to be messy. So durable. Second thing, not only do we see with Paul as he's writing with these people and he's hanging in there that it's durable, but I also want you to notice that our relationships need to have a level of accountability. I realize that in the middle of being committed in a durableness, that there are things that people are doing. Well, well, Sean, if I just endure and let those people do whatever they're going to do, they're going to run right over me and it's going to be awful and I'm not going to allow myself to be victimized anymore, all that. I get it. So not only do relationships need to be durable, they also need to be accountable. Look what Paul says in verse 5. He says this, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not, I don't want to be too severe, he says, not to put it severely, too severely, he's caused it in some measure to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Here's what's going on. There's somebody in the church that somehow was stirring up trouble or their lifestyle was causing issues in the church. And it was of such a magnitude that Paul had to write and speak to the church firmly. If you remember 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man that Paul had to speak about publicly because the church wasn't dealing with it. They all kind of, they, they all acted like this was wonderful that they could affirm this person. But there was a guy who was, was basically sleeping with his father's mistress. It was like borderline incestuous and all of this other stuff. And Paul's like, why are you guys rejoicing? This is terrible. Nobody should be doing this. And he had to write very firmly about that. Something else is going on again. And Paul is like, guys, I know that I caused you pain, but this isn't causing me pain. Actually, that individual is, has hurt all of you in the middle of this. 
But he says, go on, listen to what happened. So they, they took steps as a church, and they, they stepped up, and they publicly dealt with it at a level that needed to be. But then in verse 7, look, look what Paul says. He said, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Apparently, the person responded and turned away from that. And now Paul's like, what are you guys? Now you need to love them. <laughs> like, forgive them. This is what it's about. People mess up. You hold them accountable. They ask forgiveness. They genuinely deal with it. Now you forgive. Paul is having to walk through them with all of these steps along the way. For this is why I wrote in verse 9 that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive... I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Here's the deal. In all of our relationships, there needs to be accountability. We talk a lot about love, and we should, because the world does not have the love that it really needs. And we spend so much time, because God and the Bible and Jesus spend so much time defining loving, helping us with it, because we really struggle to show genuine, committed love over the long haul. But part of that love also means there's accountability in those relationships. You see, Paul is holding the church accountable for how they're responding to this individual. And that church, in turn, had to hold that individual accountable. See, the fact that we want durable, enduring relationships doesn't mean that whatever comes, we put up with, and whatever goes, goes. It means that we learn how to, in a healthy way, hold people accountable for their actions and what's going on in their life. The Christian faith is never wishy-washy. Love is deep, and it's sincere, and it's real, and it's for free, and it's self-sacrificing. But there's always accountability in the middle of it. See, whether we're talking marriages, there needs to be accountability. Neither spouse just allowed to go do whatever they want. Whether we're talking relationship of mom and dad and kids, there needs to be accountability. Not just kids. Mom and dad need to be accountable. You're accountable to God for your actions, and you had better step up. In fact, mom and dad, because you're not perfect, there's going to be times where you're going to need to apologize to your child because you did something or said something or responded in ways you shouldn't have. There needs to be accountability. Co-workers, accountability. For us as a church family, there's got to be accountability. You know, if we struggle with love, to show that well, from my perspective, we struggle to really show accountability even more. We tend not to do it soon enough. We tend to hold back too long and endure too long. That's what Paul was writing to them about. They weren't, as a church, holding the individual accountable. It, it, it was public knowledge. Paul wasn't outing this. It was out there already. And they weren't stepping up and addressing it. When you and I fail to show accountability, we enable and we empower people to go even further, doing more wrong, going down a road where they shouldn't and causing more problems, not only in our life, but in, in the world around us. And instead, we should step up much more quickly. And usually what happens is we just kind of bite it and we endure it. Well, I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to love. I'm not supposed to say anything. Well, no, you're supposed to hold, also hold people accountable. And then when it gets so bad, it gets so bad, we blow it and we let loose. And we... Phew. 
Instead, we should take those steps to hold accountability much sooner, much more in a way that honors God, and much more in a way that provides um, the, the respect and the health into that relationship that it deserves. Do, do problems ever get smaller on their own in life? Not, not really. If your window leaks, does it just magically fix itself? No. Mine don't. I wish they did, but they don't. If you get a little spot of rust on your car, does it just go away? No. If you're in school and you, you know, don't get that question right on the quiz, and you don't really study up to figure out why you got it wrong, does it somehow get figured out when it comes to the midterm? No. There's nothing in life that just kind of automatically gets better, right? Why in the world would we as, you, you folks are smart, intelligent, educated, experienced people, right? Room full of amazing people. Why would we think that relational things are just somehow going to get better and go away? They, they don't, right? Never. Instead, what Paul tells us and what we see modeled here is that because we're followers of Jesus Christ, there should be a level of accountability and what happens is, is that we don't do it soon enough. And then when we finally do it, we're actually not doing it for that person's benefit. We're doing it for our benefit. Because we finally get annoyed and irritated and angry enough that we lash out and we do whatever we're going to do. And that makes the mess worse. That like takes a fire and puts gasoline on it. So if you're going to give healthy accountability, I don't have time to unpack what all that is. This isn't a message about accountability. I'm just trying to give you four quick keys here. But if you're going to give good, healthy accountability... Always do it for the other person's benefit. Big breaker there. Usually when we hold people accountable, it's for our benefit. You're doing this to me, and I'm going to stop it. And we're actually trying to protect ourselves, not more than we are trying to truly help them to get where they should be. Paul is writing, this church is doing it for this person's benefit. It was primarily to help him, secondarily to protect the church, but it always accountability, number one, should always be to help that person get to where they should be. Always. Secondly, be careful not to do it in anger. The Bible says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Anger is not always wrong, but it most often is. <laughs> anger isn't always, it's not a bad emotion. It's a, one of the strongest emotions we ever have. It actually motivates us to do something. When we see an injustice or something that's wrong, it, it causes us to step out and do something. But we need to quickly move through that emotion and to make a, pro, a proactive something that's that's a healthy response to a situation or to people. And so don't hold in accountability or don't hold people accountable in anger. Do it for their benefit. Don't do it in anger. And when that person responds, be ready to forgive. That's the hard part. But be genuinely ready to say, all right, now I will forgive you. And that's hard. That takes time. That takes a chunk of us. And usually, quite frankly, we don't want to spend that kind of time. We just want that person to act right, not cause us problems. And that's the whole issue to begin with. So when you're going to have a healthy relationship, I don't care at whatever level it is, how deep that relationship is, or you know how well you know the person, where this thing's going, but you're going to have to invest more time into that than you really want to or than you expect. 
But that's the nature of relationships. To be durable, they need to also involve accountability. Third thing, third key that we see this morning is they need a level of transparency. Now, I'll be honest with you, I almost said vulnerability, but I backed up to say transparency because transparency always leads to vulnerability, does it not? Ask any kid, any normal kid. Not, I'm not thinking like two years old when every kid that I've ever known loves to run around naked, right? Just like no clothes on, just, ooh, you know. But after they get up to an age like where they figured out like this is not fun anymore, and ask any kid if they want to go to the doctor, you know, where they have to, besides the shots, like to be examined, you know, to have their checkup. Every kid is like, oh, I don't want to do that. When, we, when you make yourself transparent, there's always a huge level of vulnerability. Huge level of vulnerability. Look what Paul does here in verse 4. He says, I wrote to you out of much affliction. This was in his own heart, an anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Let's be really honest. When you're having a fight with somebody who's important to you, and they've called you names, they've accused you of things, and it's gotten heated, are you wanting to share that kind of transparency, vulnerability with that person? Uh-uh. What do we do? We close up, we protect, we put the wall up. And Paul does the exact opposite. He doesn't get defensive. Instead, in fact, he puts the arms down and says, look, guys, I don't think you realize how much I love you and care for you. He made himself really transparent to the point where he was completely vulnerable with this church. They could have taken his words and twisted them and stomped all over them. And you and I in relationships, when they, things get heated, we don't put ourselves out there like that because we don't want somebody stomping on our heart in the situation anymore. But if you and I are going to have healthy relationships, it takes a significant level of transparency Speaking out and, and opening ourselves and sharing heart issues with other individuals. For some of you, that's easy. You love that. You grew up that way. You're wired that way. Some of you, you're not. It's hard. You're more closed. If you were to ask Susan what it was like when we were dating early on, we lived about an hour apart, met at college, and uh, this was before cell phones, so no texting and all of that. My younger crowd are here like, Sean, you are a dinosaur. You, you dated before there were cell phones and texting? Who knew there was such a thing? And, uh, but if you, were to, if you were to ask her, what were those phone calls like with Sean, you know, at night or on the weekend? She would say, terrible, awful. He didn't talk. Like, he didn't say anything. I'm a, you know, I'm not a chit-chatter for the most part. I'm not a, you know, I'm kind of a utilitarian conversation. If there's a reason to sit and talk, I'll sit and talk. But I'm not just, I'm not a chatterer. I'm just, I'm not, you know, after about the second conversation, I feel like, yeah, we've had all of this already. Like, this is not productive, you know. Why are we doing it, you know? If we were dating today, I'd probably text the same way. I'd probably give one-word text. You know, she'd be like, how are you doing today? I'd probably be like, good. <laughs> you know, fine, you know. So I'm kind of preaching this to myself as well as you guys. If you want good relationships, you're going to have to open up and be transparent. You're going to have to share your heart 
some of us are going to have to discover our hearts along the way. We're just, this is, I'm not getting into psychology too much because that's outside of the Bible at this level. But Paul is willing to say, guys, I'm opening myself to you. Like, here's what's on the inside. And we've got to, all of us have got to take steps to be able to share and to have those kinds of conversations and, and, and give of ourselves. And the reason it's so difficult for us to do it, and for some of us especially, is because it makes us vulnerable and we're uncomfortable. Guys, probably you and I struggle the most. Men in this room, if we were looking at men and women, women generally are better at this than men. They really are. Not always. Sometimes it's flip-flop. Some of you are like, no, Sean, it's the opposite for me. I'm this way, and you know, my spouse or whatever is the other way. I, I get it. We're not all the same. But I'm talking about generally. More conversations, women are like, I wish my husband would just share life with me and just like talk and stuff. And I'm like, feel your pain, lady. But I also know what it's like on the other side of the guy, how hard it is to do that. But we have to be willing to be vulnerable with one another. Vulnerable. Fourth thing, and then I'm going to share with you how we get these things. You don't just well these things up. Fourth thing is not only do we need to be vulnerable, but we also need to have a level of maturity. Paul, when he was writing to them, he said, guys, I could have come and we could have sat down, but if I had come, it wouldn't have been fun. It would have been painful for me. I would have had more anguish with you. There would have been a lot of crying and tears, and it would have been painful for you and everybody involved. I felt it was better for our relationship for me just to write a letter so that you could process it, think through it, deal with it. And then I trusted that we were going to figure that all out, and then when I could come, we could have a great connection together. And as Paul is, he's even writing to this church with these individuals. He's like, look, you missed that this guy was doing something that you need to address. And then you finally addressed it. You did well. But now you're missing it that he responded and you're not forgiving the guy. Like, what are you guys doing? You see, healthy relationships take a level of maturity. A maturity that knows when to speak and when to shut up. That knows what's needed and when it's needed. That knows when somebody needs space to process something and when it's time to talk. That's called maturity. Maturity, if we really are, want to know where it comes from, it really is just wisdom, right? When somebody acts mature, they're acting in wisdom. Proverbs chapters 1 through 3 tells us where wisdom comes from. It comes from fearing God. Mom and Dad, you want your kid to be wise? It's one thing to be smart. Our culture around us wants smart kids. We want them to get good grades and jobs and all that. But, you know, there's something really more important than that is that your kids need to learn wisdom for life. And the Bible says that starts with the fear of God, putting where God is first in your life. And when you and I fear God, if you go back and read Proverbs 1 through 3, we don't have time to do that today. God begins to bless you, and He begins to help you to know how to navigate the things of life. And that's where maturity kicks in. You see... We in our relationships need to think a lot more maturely than we often do. Have you ever stepped back after a fight with somebody that's close to you or a big problem? Have you ever felt convicted like, wow, I really did not act very mature in that situation. Wow, I acted more like a middle school or kid. Are you ever blown away by just like you can like feel good about yourself and all of a sudden like, where did that come from? You see, our relationships with one another take that level of maturity that we see a situation bigger 
than what's just right in front of us. That rather than just going through all of that and reacting, that we step back and see something bigger. That's what Paul is doing here this morning. He says, guys, I'm looking at something much bigger than just being caught up in all the little stuff. That's why kids need parents. They need parents who have experience that can see a bigger situation than just the things that have them all stirred up about. And Paul even ends this passage. He says, and look, go forgive that guy because we know how Satan operates. You don't forgive him. You're blowing this whole relationship up. And that's his whole goal. The enemy's goal, frankly, from the very beginning to end is to separate people from God. And he did that through sin in the Garden of Eden and to separate people from each other. He accomplished that as well. We not only see when Adam and Eve sinned against God, we see them being separated eternally from a holy God in heaven, that they did wrong, they disobeyed God, and because of it they hid. They were afraid of God. They were, had shame and guilt that they hid from God. And the Bible says they covered themselves. But they also, we see them coming right out of that. We see them blaming one another. Adam blamed the whole thing on Eve. Well, she did it. It's her fault, not me. And we see the relationship. In one move, the enemy managed to blow up relationships on this earth. And it takes God doing a work in our life to begin to restore those. But along the way... You have to demonstrate maturity. So four things that you really are going to need if you're going to have any healthy relationships for parents, for spouses, for friends, for coworkers, for family, a durable marriage, a relationship, durability, accountability, transparency, and maturity. Well, Sean, where do I get those things? I'm glad you asked me that question. Thank you for asking me that question. Those things come from God. These are not things you well up in your heart. Okay, I'm just going to work out. I'm going to be more durable. You all, we have all tried to do that in all kinds of relationships. And it doesn't work. That's why we fail. That's why they fail. You see, we're, we're learning from Paul, a man who has been deeply touched by the grace of God in his life, who had a relationship with God that was restored and out of that restoration, out of that grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was able to experience those four things model for us today. Let me say it this way. If you really stink at relationships, and if you're struggling with those, the solution is in these, likely in these four areas for you but you will get them not by trying harder, not by going to the next self-help group, not by reading the next book, watching the next blog, just trying to do better. Instead, it will flow out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, God was the one who loved us and committed Himself to us. Even while we were sinners, the Bible says, Jesus died for us. He demonstrated that love for us, Romans 5.8 says. And that while you and I were literally in the act of sinning, Jesus still loved us. I can't think of a more vulnerable spot than our Lord Jesus being on that cross, naked, vulnerable before the world, and vulnerable before the Father in heaven because spiritually He had on His back at that moment the accountability for all of your sins and mine, paying for those things. I can't think of a, a stronger commitment 
to us, to be good toward us, to be committed in a durable relationship toward us. I can't think of a clearer picture of accountability that God couldn't just wipe your sin or my sin under the rug. He couldn't do it like when people come to our house, you know, quick clean up the mess. So and so's come over, just shove it in the closet. That it actually cost his own son Jesus. That God is such an accountable God that he had to put his son Jesus to death for your sins in order to have a relationship with you. And I can't think of a moment where Jesus at that time, the the level of maturity, if you will, if you could dare let me think of it in that way, the wisdom. Any of us would be like, this is not worth it. I'm not going through this. But Jesus knew what was coming later. He knew that His Father would accept that sacrifice. And and He committed to that. He demonstrated all of that. So folks, this morning, when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, when you have done that in the past, you receive forgiveness of sins and oneness with God and all of that. But God also now builds, begins to increasingly build into your life His character. That means that He turns around and wants you and me to live with what we've seen modeled here today. To be able to live in our relationships and our connections and live in community in such a way that's long-lasting, that doesn't throw in the towel, in such a way that's accountable and there's mutual accountability. Part of that is you and me learning how to give and receive accountability i got to tell you, I've never seen my own sinfulness as much as I do in my own home. In fact, I've never seen it as much as I have in my own marriage relationship. See, it's through those relationships that we really discover what's inside our heart. That's where the challenge becomes is because we become vulnerable and transparent, and as we become transparent, we don't like what we really see inside. We discover more and more the junk and the selfishness and the stuff that we know that shouldn't be in there. And, but what the Lord Jesus does is He accepts us. Not, he doesn't accept the junk. He accepts us. And then He says, I want to clean some of that out. I want to increasingly begin to you to experience that changed life. He holds us accountable for sure. And He changes us. And He wants us to live in those kinds of relationships where we give and we receive that accountability from one another. That's vulnerable. That's difficult. And then He forgives us. You know, can you imagine Jesus on that cross? He prayed to His Father, Father, forgive them. They're the ones that we put them on the cross and He's sitting there praying that we'd forgive them. You and I never do that. When we're deeply offended, deeply hurt, we get mad, we get bitter, we get angry, we protect ourselves. And what the Bible tells us is, is that we need to give and receive accountability, but be willing to be vulnerable to the point that we forgive. I don't truly know when we're more vulnerable than when we forgive somebody, right? When they've genuinely harmed us, and we say, I forgive you, we're opening ourselves right back up all over again. That's why forgiveness is so hard. Because we don't want to be hurt again. And we don't want to go through that again. But that's where God takes us. And He gives us those abilities more and more and more. So guys, I expect all of us to have challenges in our relationships. Every one of us, me included. 
because we're sinners. But I'm grateful that the God of heaven, when we pursue our relationship with Him, that He saves us and He more and more builds those things into our life, that He transforms those relationships increasingly just through the commitment that we individually do. Well, Sean, you don't understand. The other person's not doing this, X, Y, and Z, and all that. I get it. I understand there's two parts to that equation. But you individually are not responsible for their part. You're only responsible for you. And it's your commitment to holy God in heaven, the Lord Jesus, as your Savior and your Lord, to say, God, this is going to be hard, but would you help me to be committed and to be durable? God, would you help me to hold accountability? God, I'm angry. <laughs> I don't want just accountability. I want revenge. I want a hunk of flesh. Be honest with that. And ask God to help you work through that and to address accountability appropriately. God, I want to forgive, and they're not sorrowful at all. God, would you help me forgive, not letting them continue, but would you help me to forgive? God, would you help me to be transparent? God, would you help me to have maturity? See, folks, that's what I'm calling you to today, to allow the grace of God through Jesus Christ as Lord of your life to have a tangible impact in your day-to-day -day relationships. That's why we as a church say that our focus is to help people experience life change. It comes through knowing and following Jesus. When you know Jesus, you're forgiven of your sin and He saves you. You're on your way to heaven. You're a child of His. But as you follow Jesus, all of that works in deeper and deeper and it changes and it even begins to change your relationships. So I don't know what the next step is for you this morning. I hope, one, at least it's encouraging to you that if you look back and say, you know what, God has taught me a lot of this stuff, then celebrate that and, and thank God for it. Maybe God's nudged your heart to say, yeah, you really are letting so-and-so go too far. And you're enabling, you're empowering, you're aiding and abetting, you're helping them, you're becoming a part of the problem by not showing accountability. Maybe you need to step into that world. We don't like to give and receive accountability until it's too bad and it's so big and it blows up and then we just we ghost and we walk away and we blame and we spit venom at the other person. Maybe you need to step into that world a little bit. Maybe you need to take a step to just let the line of communication be open with a relationship that's been broken. Just... Put it in, in your heart or let them know. I don't know. But whatever God is kind of speaking to your heart this morning, this is what gospel relationships are about. Jesus changing our life and then our life being different with others based on His love for us. But I think there's something probably here for most of us. So I'm going to pray and ask that God would work in your heart specifically to address these things. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Lord, we are grateful for relationships. Father, I look back in my life and there's some relationships I've had that are just the biggest blessing in this world and I am so eternally grateful to You. And Lord, there's been some that have been a challenge and I've not always acted and responded as I should. Father, I pray that none of us want to, we don't want to beat each other up and I at all um, for our past actions and mistakes. Father, I thank You that Your grace is great enough to forgive us and remove that shame and all of that sin and all of that wrong. Father, I pray for that this morning. 
And I pray, Father, that you would help people to take the next step to honor you and the next step and whatever that would look like in the relationships that you're bringing to their mind and heart today. Lord, I don't know how exactly you want to work, but help us to live out that gospel faithfully day in and day out when we're at work and we're at home. Help us to live it out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, I pray that God somehow will use this this week. You know, the gospel isn't just meant to be a religious thing in our life that we're saved and on our way to heaven. It's meant to impact everything we do. So I pray that somehow you take a piece of this this week and if not in your own heart and soul, share it with somebody else along the way. Regardless of what happens there, if you take a step, you honor God and you put yourself in a place where God can work and bless you and work through you and the world around you. So... God bless you. I pray you have a great week and uh, enjoy. I guess the weather is supposed to be nice, so God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.